0: So the big question is this, how can runners like you who aren't professional athletes or paid sponsored runners avoid injury and increase athletic performance to enjoy running race events for the rest of your life without wasting money on trends or using dangerous painkiller drugs? That is the question. And on hashtag run pain free podcast, your host sports biomechanics, athletic injury correction and conditioning expert Jessica Marie
1: Rose Leggio gives you the answers. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Run Pain Free podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio. And today, you're getting a treat. Dr. Rachel Bond, we spoke with her on an interview in 2020 for the Marathon Training Summit, and we talk extensively about the heart. She's a cardiologist and an amazing one. And so, this is the open interview of that interview. I would love for you to listen to the advanced session, and that you can find the link to in the description of this podcast. Take a listen. There's a ton of information, and make sure you're ready to take notes. Welcome to the Run Pain-Free Marathon Training Summit. I have with us cardiologist Dr. Rachel Bond, all the way from Arizona, who's going to speak with us today. Welcome. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, she is going to bring a ton of information, guys. So get out your notebooks and take some notes because this is information we all need. I really thank you for all of your extended research and dedication to cardiology. It's been, I know it's a mystery muscle. It's a, it's a lot to deal with. So you're going to give us tons of information. So guys, I'm going to give you her background so you know who we're speaking with. Dr. Rachel Bond is a board, is a board certified attending cardiologist who has devoted her career to the treatment of heart disease through early detection, education, and prevention. She is the System Director of Women's Heart Health at Dignity Health in Arizona. Dr. Bond is the co-chair of the Women in Cardiology Committee, as well as the chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee for the Arizona Chapter of the American College of Cardiology. She most recently has been appointed to serve on the Women in Cardiology Section Leadership Council for the National Chapter of the American College of Cardiology, She holds a faculty position as Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine at Crichton University School of Medicine. Did I say that correctly? Creighton. Creighton. Dr. Vaughn earned a Bachelor of Science degree from the seven-year accelerated medical program at the Sophie Davis School of Biomedical Education, where she graduated summa cum laude and earned her medical doctorate from NYU School of Medicine. She completed her training in Internal Medicine at NYU School of Medicine and in cardiovascular disease at Hofstra Northwell School of Medicine at North Shore University Hospital and Long Island Jewish Medical Center in New York. Dr. Bond is the author of several review papers referencing sex and gender differences and cardiovascular conditions that predominantly affect women, along with opinion pieces aimed at addressing health equity, reducing health disparities, and promoting the professional development of women and minorities in the health science profession. She has a passion for advocacy of education and mentorship, and has advised as an expert source through news and media outlets. Her clinical interests include heart disease prevention, pregnancy-related heart conditions, and cardio-oncology and lipid disorders. Her research interests currently include heart-mind connection, cardio-rheumatology, and gender disparities in valvular heart disease. Dr. Bond is a fellow of the American College of Cardiology and a member of the American so- American Society of Preventive Cardiology, Association of Black Cardiologists, and the American Heart Association, where she is a national spokesperson for the Go Red for Women campaign and sits on the board of directors. Everybody, our cardiologist of the day, Dr. Bond. Thank you again. Extensive background and exactly what we want to talk about. So I'm going to get right into it. Um, okay. The heart is something runners need to know about. They just have to absolutely know about. So I have a question. Did you know that you always wanted to go into cardiology or when you went into med? Because you seemingly were clear on your drive for medicine early on. Was cardiology always it for you or had that happened?
0: So cardiology was actually always it for me. Um, I knew at a very, very early age, as you mentioned, that I wanted to be a a physician, um, and it really was actually during high school that I knew that the heart was the organ that interested me the most. Reason being is it's such a vital organ, right? Everybody, of course, needs their heart in order to live. Um, but more importantly, I was noticing that there were so many disparities in terms of the numbers of females and the numbers of minorities that were dying at higher rates from heart disease. The reason I was exposed to this was because I was fortunate enough to have family members that worked in the medical field. So they allowed me to really see these disparities and I really made it my mission at that point in time, high school, college, and getting into an accelerated um, school that allowed me to very easily then go to medical school, residency, and then cardiology fellowship. I made it my mission to focus on the preventive aspects of medicine. Um, understanding that cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death for both women and men and that it's something that we could prevent 80% of the time and many people don't understand that or how easy it may be to prevent it
1: agreed thank you so much I appreciate that it it lends to when you're clear early how driven and how directive you are with your study so I appreciate that and I appreciate you want because I, just, I understand how complicated the heart is, so I really appreciate that focus. Um, each year, there are stories about a runner that collapses on a marathon. I know there's a, the stats show you know, one in 100,000, but honestly, it feels like every marathon, there's at least one person that collapses and, and passes away, and it rattles runners every year. They come to me. They get freaked out. Um, there is heart attack, cardiac arrest, sudden cardiac arrest, and sudden cardiac death. Can you explain the differences between those for our runners today?
0: Absolutely. So when we're talking about a heart attack, a heart attack is basically the the technical term for myocardial infarction, which means that we had an area in our heart that had a plaque, plaque being cholesterol that's built up in the artery, and that plaque became unstable and it ruptured. And it led to our body creating a whole bunch of cells to go to that area to try to protect that plaque. And unfortunately in doing so, it closes off blood flow or blood supply to an area of the heart. So when we have a heart attack, it's it's an emergency. And in that situation, you wanna make sure that you go to the hospital as quickly as you can so we can provide you with appropriate medical care as well as procedures that we have that could potentially fix that heart attack or that area where the heart attack was. When you think about cardiac arrest, that's actually when your heart completely stops. Mm. And 80% of the time, your heart stops primarily because the heart actually stopped working. About 20% of the time, it may be because you are having difficulty breathing. So for example, in situations where maybe you were swimming and you, were, and you drowned, or in a situation where maybe you had an intoxication of something that you shouldn't have had, particularly a poison or a um, a illicit drug, for example, and you overdose. That could prevent your ability to breathe accordingly, and not having that oxygen to your lungs could lead to a a cardiac arrest. 80% of the time, though, that cardiac arrest is just solely that your heart stopped. And in that situation, that means you don't have a pulse, you really are lifeless. And that's an emergency as well. So for patients or for people in the community that notice somebody just collapses, of course, we're going to go to them to see if they have a pulse to see if they need help, but immediately you're going to want to call for help. You're gonna wanna call 911 to make sure that the emergency medical services are coming and if you have appropriate training, you're going to want to start to do chest compressions, which are really very fast and rapid in the center of the chest, because by getting those your hands on their chest sooner rather than later, you could potentially save their life mm. until the emergency medical professionals come. You then talked about, um, I believe, sudden death, correct, um, yeah. in, in your um, other statements? so. Sudden death is a form of cardiac arrest that just comes out of nowhere, meaning that the patient did not have any risk factors for underlining heart disease. And unfortunately, we are seeing this more commonly in the younger population, specifically runners, for example. Runners that maybe were not, um, were not aware of underlining conditions that they may have either been born with, such as something congenitally wrong with their heart, or perhaps maybe that in the sense that they were more prone to having an abnormal rhythm of their heart that led to that sudden just this pause of mm-hmm. the electricity in their heart system that led it led to their heart arresting.
1: Wow, thank you so much for that. I, and I know some because there was a one specific one that really rattled people 2 years ago. And um every runner that came to my to session that day was like just down and out and just doesn't understand it. And I said, you really just, you know, go get a checkup, go, you know, get all your, all your blood work done. just go get it checked up just to make sure, because the heart is doesn't care what you do. <laughs> it doesn't care. It, if it doesn't want to work that day, it's not going to work. It really, it doesn't care. There's no, there's no discrimination with the heart when it wants to stop, it stops.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So then that goes into stress tests. Could you explain what a stress test is? And I know there's different variations. I've had several, um, but the, your most basic stress test, what would, could you explain what that actually is and what it's looking for and how it ca- how can prevent somebody from any issues?
0: So we typically order stress tests in patients that we have a suspicion may have underlining heart disease because it is a good clinical test for us to diagnose that. So why would we diagnose that or why would we think that if somebody presented to my office, for example, with chest discomfort, difficulty breathing, specifically when they're exerting themselves, um, even particularly in women, if they presented with fatigue or dizziness or even a feeling as though their heart was racing, we may want to proceed with a stress test again to see if there's any evidence of heart disease. The way a standard stress test works, which is a treadmill, is that we hook somebody up to a monitor. So we have the ability to monitor their heart rate. We have the ability to monitor any changes in the electrical conduction while they're on that treadmill walking. And we also hook them up to a blood pressure monitor. So every three minutes or so, as the stress test is going on, we're increasing the incline, but we're also increasing the speed. And our hope is that we get you to a specific target. And that target is usually 220 minus your age. And we take 85% of that um, so minus your age and 85% of that will provide us what your, your really target heart rate for that being a very effective stress test would be um, and in that situation what I typically tell my patients is that I'd like them to go beyond that target so really the longer you're on the stress test the more information you provide me so I can see Are we able to replicate any of the symptoms that you typically experience when you're walking while on the stress test? If we are able to replicate it, do I see any changes on your electrocardiogram, which again, looks at the electricity and the heart and tells us if there's any evidence of a blockage. And if that does show an abnormality, we may decide to extend that stress test to do some imaging with it. And that imaging could be an ultrasound of the heart that it allows us to see at your peak heart rate how well the heart is pumping or it could be a nuclear imaging study where we give you a radioactive material we put you under a camera and we look to see how well the heart is perfusing. So there's definitely different variations of stress tests but for the vast majority of cases it's very important that when we're ordering a stress test the patient for the most part has symptoms or symptomatology. In some situations, we may order a stress test if a person is asymptomatic, if they have risk factors, and they want to start, for example, on a pretty intense exercise regimen. Because we want to make sure that their heart is going to be able to maintain that stress on their heart with the exercise, that the exercise may bring. We also may order a stress test for somebody without symptoms if they have a very strong family history of heart disease, specifically early heart disease. And that's where we use it more as a screening
1: tool. Awesome. Um, so heart attacks do kill more women than all cancers combined. Is that a valid statement? Okay, I wanted to. The... 100%. Okay, um, can you lend some insight to why that is? Like, what are we missing as women? What are the red flags that we're missing that this is, ha- is still happening so all the time? It's not changing. <laughs> So that's a wonderful question and it's a, I think it's a question that has
0: multi-fold. So one is the fact that the awareness out there in the community unfortunately is lacking. As you mentioned, we as women, we we really tend to gravitate towards breast cancer, particularly right as our greatest risk. Mm -hmm. And I can say that one reason that is, is because the American Cancer Society has done a fantastic job from a campaign perspective at highlighting the need for a mammogram. With cardiovascular disease, we don't unfortunately have a screening tool or one screening tool such as a mammogram that makes it easy for us to screen for cardiovascular disease. But what do we have? We have the understanding that heart disease 80% of the time is usually driven by risk factors. So what are those risk factors? And this is where we need to educate our females in in the community. These are risk factors that include elevation in blood pressure, issues with your cholesterol, if you're overweight or obese, if you're not um, doing a, a loaded physical activity that is suggested particularly by the American Heart Association, which is at least 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity exercise. And that could also just include briskly walking. It doesn't per se even mean running. Or per se, we know another common risk factor is, of course, if you're a smoker. Um, If you have an excess amount of alcohol in your system, we also know another common risk factor, one that we don't have much control over is our family history. Mm. So when it comes to women, there are other risk factors and this is where it gets a little bit interesting because even clinicians don't understand a lot of these risk factors that can place a female at a higher risk for heart disease in the future. A lot of these risk factors have a lot to do with our hormonal changes, many of which occur during pregnancy. So if anybody had a pregnancy and had an adverse complication from it, including issues with their blood pressure during pregnancy, issues with their blood sugar during pregnancy, a disorder called preeclampsia, where you have elevations in your blood pressure and you spill protein in your urine, that is a risk factor for heart disease in the future. Another risk factor during pregnancy is preterm labor. So anybody that had a baby before 37 weeks gestation, that can place you at a higher risk in the future for a cardiac event. Um, And it's not the far future, it's actually the next eight to 10 years. So these are young women that are at very high risk and it's why cardiologists like myself like to partner with the obstetricians in the community to not just educate them but capture those patients so we're making sure that the other risk factors that we can control, like the diabetes, the blood pressure, the weight, those are optimal and under very good control. But to answer your question, I think more effectively, why are we seeing these rates? Um, And why is it that women are not understanding or identifying their risk? And again, a lot of it, at the end of the day, goes down to that awareness. And that's why it's so important for people like yourself to have podcasts like this, where you have the opportunity to educate your your audience to say well if you fall into any category and if you had any of those risk factors without question you should be evaluated by your primary doctor but it may also be in your best interest to see a cardiologist at the end of the day as
1: well very informative i appreciate that answer a hundred percent um, can you explain the differences in symptoms between men and women because they are different and I think that that's also goes along with the lines of the, the education and awareness factor as well.
0: Absolutely and when we think about symptoms we know that classically a symptom when somebody is coming in with chest discomfort to the emergency room and we're worried about a heart attack for example or a, a diseased artery of some sort that's leading to those symptoms. The vast majority of the time, women can present very similar to men where it feels as though in the center of their chest, an elephant is sitting on it. That's kind of a classic thing that we in the, in the cardiology world hear all the time when patients come in. Oh, I feel like someone's sitting on my chest like an elephant, there's a lot of pressure. But then a third of the time, females may have actually no chest pain. They may experience neck pain or back pain or jaw pain. They may also experience difficulty breathing or shortness of breath where they're feeling a little bit more winded when they're exerting themselves in any way. They may have episodes of dizziness where they break out into a sweat or they may feel nauseous as though they need to vomit. And more importantly, usually a red flag for a female in particular, one that may be at a higher risk for heart disease is fatigue. Just this, this tiredness that just doesn't go away even though you're taking your vitamins, you're eating healthy, you're sleeping well but your body still just feels so tired. That could be a red flag that you may be at higher risk for a cardiac event in the future and something you probably are gonna to wanna to talk to your doctor about.
1: Um, just on a sidebar, what about indigestion? I've heard that indigestion and stomach pain is a lot what women feel and they wind up taking a lot of Pepcid and kind of bypass it because women push through and then they miss that they're having like minor heart attacks and then get a big one. Is that something? Absolutely and so
0: uh, in that same realm of a third of the time the way women present with those very non-classic or atypical symptoms indigestion is a part of that. So it can also confuse the emergency room physicians as well as well as the nurses where they are focusing in on the fact that oh it's your stomach that's causing this and a lot of times what I hear when my patients are getting misdiagnosed by the emergency room, um, is that they were identified as having anxiety. that It was Mm -hmm. anxiety that led to their symptoms. And we know that it's not anxiety. The fact of the matter is it was their heart. So what I tend to tell patients and what I want patients to understand is that you have to advocate for yourself. Particularly if you know you have several risk factors for heart disease and you're coming in and you're concerned about your heart, the best thing you can do is tell the emergency room you believe you're having a heart attack because they cannot ignore you, they cannot dismiss you, they cannot say it's anxiety, they cannot say it's indigestion. Our hope is that at the end of the day, that is what it will be. But if you identify at the very beginning and you advocate for yourself that you are worried about a heart attack, you're worried about heart disease, they will take you um, so much more seriously and have the ability to really rule that in or out.
1: Great advice, everybody listen up, save yourself. (laughs) so half marathons can take anywhere somewhere from one to three hours and a full marathon can be from two to nine hours can you talk about what the heart has to be able to do to endure that level of endurance
0: so like any muscle and the heart is a muscle you have to have the ability to really modify for your situation and the situation that you're experiencing so the longer you're running or with the more intensity that you're running, your heart absolutely has to work a little bit harder. It's gonna pump a little bit faster to get that blood out to the rest of the body. The reason that is, is because as we exercise, we have not just an increase in our heart rate, but we also have an increase in our blood pressure. So the resistance of how easy it is for the heart to pump that blood out is much greater because our blood pressure is going up. So the heart has to work a little bit stronger and a little bit harder. And that's why at the end of the day, if you're somebody who doesn't avidly run, it is important that you do get that evaluation by at least your primary doctor to make sure that you can partake in a half right. marathon or a full marathon before you put your heart through that stressor.
1: Thank you. I, I think you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a base base, like basic commonality to be like, oh, if you're starting any exercise, go talk to your doctor or talk to your doctor. But I think it's so much more important when it comes to endurance sports because it's nothing when you're in a consistent cardiovascular motion there's no breaks involved like none of that's happening you have like it's so much more serious and all systems have to be operating uh equally so i i thank please thank you for saying that <laughs> everybody go and get that check um so for the closing of our first session you are an advocate for women and minorities in cardiovascular health having done a great deal of work in, for diversity and inclusion on this health matter of being a heart disease why are minorities at a higher risk for heart disease and and poor cardiovascular health in general as a baseline?
0: So this is as well a multitude of reasons and one thing that I do want to stress, just given the current climate that we're in, as yes. we're highlighting several of the unjust um, uh, murders correct in the media to date. Yes. There is a level of societal racism that has led to a multitude uh, or a disadvantage to people of color, particularly underrepresented minorities, such as those that are African American, Hispanic, for example. And with that, it could either be implicitly there or, unfortunately, explicitly there. And I can say, even in the medical field, we have a a large degree of implicit bias, meaning that our brains are programmed to treat people of different races very differently. This has been looked at time and time again. For example, even when it comes to the African-American race coming to the hospital, they're less likely to receive the appropriate amount of pain medication because they're assumed to not per se have pain. Similarly, we know that they're less likely to receive really any type of appropriate um, management when it comes to even cardiovascular care. And that could be because people are not identifying them as one being a risk um, for cardiovascular disease or implicitly in their mind, they're not thinking about treating them in the same way they may their Caucasian counterparts. Another thing that I think is important is um, because of the fact that there is a societal racism. And I like to say that racism is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease, because it is. It's a public health crisis, um, and we know that it's something that we, as a society, have to absolutely work on. But more right. importantly, we know that it can lead to a multitude of social determinants of health that factor into one's health. So where you're raised, the community you grew up in, your ability to have exposure to healthy supermarkets, for example, that can factor into what your health will look like in the future. Your education can factor into that. Your income can factor into that. And one thing that I want to stress is because of the social determinants of health that plague the African-American community, as well as the Hispanic community, much greater than the Caucasian community, we know that they're more likely to have those traditional risk factors such as diabetes, elevated Mm -hmm. blood pressure, elevated cholesterol. I can speak specifically on the population where we're actually seeing the highest rates of death. Um, And it's actually young black women between Mm. the ages of 35 to 54. Wow. Why is that? A lot of them unfortunately are dying during their pregnancy as well from cardiac disease. And we know that cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of maternal death in the United States. And the United States has the highest rates of maternal death for any first world country. Um, this is something that, again, co- encompasses a multitude of reasons, societal racism being one of them, implicit bias being another, social determinants of health being another. But the mere fact somebody is African American race, they're at a higher risk of having a death during their pregnancy than their white counterparts. And so this is something that we need to acknowledge. And I love the fact you a- asked this question, because unless we know what we're, what our society is experiencing, Um, we won't be able to make these appropriate changes, right? Right. So we have to educate ourselves so we can make these changes with the hope that we treat everybody equally as we should. Um, And that's something that I advocate for and I work very closely with students. So I mentor many students, residents and fellows alike. And this is something that we talk about during our teaching rounds. Um, because we need to make sure that we're treating all our patients appropriately, equally, and we're, and we're culturally sensitive to their needs
1: as well. Culturally aware, I think, um, especially now that you're pointing out the geographical risk, I mean, it's a risk factor of geography, basically. So to, pay, to say to what you just said, so that's interesting. And I'm glad that you said that because the majority of our runners here are minorities. So, and, and also women make up pretty much half of the runners now today in today's day and age. So there's so many of them that need to hear exactly what you're saying. So that closes our first session. I'm going to come back with an advanced session with Dr. Bond, click on over. And also all of her social media is right below. So be sure to reach out to her and look up all of her stuff on LinkedIn. She does a lot of information and her studies are there. So go ahead and click on there, but meet us in the advanced session. I hope you enjoyed that interview and the open session of Dr. Rachel Bond. Please go on over now to find the advanced session and you'll get that link in the description of this podcast. Not only will you find hers there, but all of the 20 experts that I interviewed in the Marathon Training Summit with all of their run experiences from all different corners of the industry that I am sure you're going to enjoy. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.
0: You're listening to the Run Pain-Free Podcast brought to you by the Run Pain-Free Academy. Featuring biomechanics, athletic injury correction, and conditioning expert, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio. Subscribe to us as you leave a positive review on
1: iTunes.